Carrie's going to leave me on my own for this one. No, no I mean, I, I have so <laughs> many things to say. I'm so, I don't want to like, I do this on my other show is I start saying things and then it turns into like a three hour episode. We're going to jump right into the question and then we're going to discuss the question afterward. Are you ready with no more lead in than that? Yeah, I guess so. Let's go. A therapist is deeply concerned about her young adult client from Central America, who has been gradually weaning herself off of mood-stabilizing medication. The client's doctor advised against the change, and the client has begun exhibiting risk-taking behavior, including high-stakes gambling, experimentation with psychedelic drugs, and running barefoot on a freeway. In session, the client says she is planning her suicide and that she has bought a gun. The therapist should A, assess the client's history, B, move toward hospitalization, C, contact the client's physician, or D, understand the suicidality as a side effect of discontinuing the medication. This question comes from an earlier edition of Preparing for the California Clinical Social Work Law and Ethics Exam. That is a prep book that we put out here at Ben Caldwell Labs. I think this question or a version of it comes from the like 2019 edition of that book. So it's outdated in the sense that we have retired it, but it's still valid in the sense of what the correct answer will be. Cool, cool. Let's see if I can get that correct answer. Good luck. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to need it. Um, okay. Uh, so the, so here, I'm going to read through the answers. A is assess the client's history. Okay. B is move toward hospitalization. C is contact the client's physician. And D is understand the suicidality as a side effect of discontinuing the medication. Uh, okay. I'm going to cross D off right away. Um, I don't think that's necessarily my judgment as an MFT to make. Okay. And I don't think it would help me with anything um, at this point right now. Uh, so I'm going to focus on A through C. Um, A, assess the client's history. Well, boy, I feel that should have been done a while ago. Uh, this does not say this is a new client. This thing says a therapist is deeply concerned about her young adult client. Um, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's an, I don't think this is a first session or anything. So I don't think, I, th I think we're way past client's history. And I don't see how that could help us right now anyway. So I'm going to do away with A as well. Okay. But B and C, I understand, I would, I would want to do probably both of these things. Um, B is move toward hospitalization. C is contact the client's physician. So I understand why we might con contact the physician. Um, uh, because I know that like continuity of care, uh, you know, being connected with other providers in a, in a client's life is, is a good thing. Sharing information is good and important. Um, and so that's that's probably definitely something I should do uh, at some point. Um, not sure I should do it right now because where are we right now? The question says we're literally in a session right now. 
Okay. So if I'm in a session and the client says she is planning her suicide and that she has bought a gun. Uh, so anytime the word suicide comes up, I know instantly I'm supposed to do a suicide assessment. Um, so she's already told me she's planning. I, I, I assume, I mean, she's already told me that she has means. Um, do I know that she's got a, a when and a where and all that? I'm not, I'm not sure that I know that yet, but I do know that she's pretty far along in a suicide, like if I were to perform a suicide assessment. Um, so knowing those things and we're in session, boy, I don't think, oh God, I hate to, I hate, uh, you know, forcing clients to go to the hospital. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. But she's got a gun at home. I'm assuming it's at home. I'm, I'm assuming it's not in the room um, or in her car, but it, I suppose it could be. Um, and since she's endorsing suicidal thoughts, I don't think I can, I don't think I can let her leave uh, since she, pretty far along in this planning. Um, so contacting the client's physician, what could that, what could that do? Like if I say, I say I took that option and I called the physician right there in session, what are they going to do? First of all, they didn't ever answer the phone. So I don't think they could do anything. Um, Even if you get through to the physician, you know, the physician could tell you about the medication. Um, the physician might reach out to the client to say, hey, stop weaning yourself off of this. You need it. Right. The physician might get involved in getting the client back on their medication, hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah. Which all makes sense. And I think that would all be really good, probably, um, I, I guess, depending, absolutely depending on why the client was weaning herself off the medication in the first place. Maybe, maybe that might end up ultimately being the best case scenario for her is being off the medication. I'm not, but again, that's not my call to make. Right. Um, but even if that, even if, even if the, the best thing for her to do uh, at this point is to go back on the medication, that's not going to kick in for a while. Um, I don't think. And it's not going to help me with the immediate issue that she is actively planning suicide and that she's purchased a gun, that she has means um, and a plan and is like, you know, this doesn't say she's going to go home and kill herself, um, which would be like the final red flag for me. Um, mm -hmm. That would be if, if, if this question said that, that she has bought a gun and she is planning to kill herself tonight, then I'd be no question hospitalization immediately. Um, sure. But it doesn't say that. It it doesn't say that. It just says she's planning and has a gun. Oh, God, this is hard. You know what, though? I'm still I'm still I feel like suicide is the kind of thing you you err on the side of safety uh, all the time, Um, I think so. Oh, I'm going to regret this. I'm going to regret this. Ah, I'm going to say B, move toward hospitalization. You're not going to regret it. It's the right answer. <laughs> but what's really helpful, I think, about what you went through in your thought process is that this client did not say, 
I am going to take my life tonight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. However, there is no shortage of other evidence that this is an extremely high-risk client who poses imminent danger just based on the risk-taking behavior they have already been getting into. Yeah. Uh, experimentation with psychedelic drugs, that in and of itself isn't going to lead anybody to hospitalize this mm -hmm. client, but running barefoot on a freeway? That's a good point. When you've got somebody who is at that level of risk-taking and has bought a gun and is talking about suicide, you can safely consider them to be an imminent danger, even if they have not actually said, I am going to die by suicide tonight. Yeah. Okay. I. You know what? That's so true. I totally didn't even... I, I wasn't even, I should have gone back to that. I, I kind of like skimmed over that as like, oh, this is excess information that's trying to take me away from like what I'm, what I need to do here. Um, because it's so dramatic and crazy, but, uh, yeah, that now that I look at that again, of course. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Well, and typically too, when you see a crisis intervention question on an exam, they don't want to make it too easy. Because just as you were saying, if the client comes in and says, I am 100% going to kill myself tonight and I have the means and a plan, like, of course, you're going to know that hospitalization <laughs> is the right answer. That's not a difficult question. Right. So you are likely to see some that are more like this, that require some clinical judgment of recognizing imminent danger where it appears. Even if the client is not necessarily saying that, there's still enough behavioral evidence to justify at least moving toward hospitalization, at least requiring that somebody be assessed at a hospital. So be here, absolutely the correct answer. But let me take this conversation in a bit of a different direction. You mentioned in your thought process about filtering information, which we all have to do when we are answering these kinds of exam questions. In this question, it includes the fact that the young adult client is from Central America. Right. Does that influence your answer at all? No, not at all. And I think that that's, you know, I, I feel like those, when I read it through first, I mean, I feel like those very specific details in these kind of questions, they could either be incredibly important or just like complete red herrings. And so when I read that through the first time, I was like, oh, okay, I guess let's see if immigration issues are, are at play here. Um, but it was literally never mentioned again. And I think that 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 is what led me to think if they're already putting in extraneous information, then maybe a lot of this is extraneous information. It's all just like there to confuse me. Um, so focus on what you need to do, uh, which it led me to maybe not put enough emphasis on the other information in the problem, because you're right, like all those other symptoms spoke to, quote unquote, imminent danger which I forgot kind of is like the whole point of the suicide assessment. I, I just have, have it so locked in my head, like look for these things. And if you have all these pieces, then you do this with certainty. Mm -hmm. um, but I forgot that that underlying it is assessing for imminent danger, that the time frame, the saying I'm going to do it tonight, that's speaking to imminent danger. But because I, I, I glossed over all of that because I thought it was extra. Uh, there can be information in a question stem that is sort of distractor information. And so part of your job as an examinee is to figure out, okay, what's really important to the question being asked here and what's not? 
And this has actually become something of a controversy in the exam world, especially as it relates to race, ethnicity, and culture. And the question of whether that kind of information can or should be in a question stem when it's not directly relevant to the correct answer. I read some criticism of the ASWB practice test, where the authors of this article were saying that inclusion of a client's culture in a question stem when it isn't directly relevant to the answer is a form of microaggression. And it's interesting to think about that possibility. And you know, there's, there's a trade-off. If you only include race or ethnicity or culture information in a question when it's directly related to the correct answer, then people will, examinees will, over key on that information when it's present. And of course, it also begs a ton of questions about what we're supposed to assume when race, ethnicity, or culture information isn't in the question. Like then do we just infer a white client because that's pretty deeply problematic as well. On the other hand, you, you need the skill of resisting stereotyping. We are at risk, just like anybody else, of falling into biases and stereotypes. And it is an important test-taking skill and an important clinical skill to not let stereotyping determine how you're going to respond. Carrie's going to leave me on my own for this one. No, no I mean, I, I have so many things to say. I'm so, I don't want to like, I do this on my other show as I start saying things and then it turns into like a three hour episode. I just, I just will, I will throw out there, boy, I am sitting with right now that I, uh, it, it absolutely, of course, if the uh, race, ethnicity, uh, uh, like in this case, um, country of origin is, is left off of, of course, the assumption is that the client is white. I, of course, I assume that. And I and until this moment, I ne that never occurred to me that that was my assumption. So, wow, these tests suck. OK, they do. And that is a theme that we will revisit many times. Let's end today with a fast fact. Mm, great. If you look at first time pass rates for the ASWB clinical exam, according to a report that ASWB itself released last summer, so summer of 2022. First-time exam pass rates for the ASWB clinical exam for white examinees are above 80%. For black examinees, they're in the 40s. <gasps> white examinees are about twice as likely to pass on their first attempt and if you look at it from sort of the opposite perspective, likelihood of not passing, black examinees are about three times as likely as white examinees to not pass on their first attempt. So the race of the examinee is deeply consequential. And don't worry, we're going to talk about that some more as these episodes continue. Once again, I'm Ben Caldwell. With me is Carrie Weta. If you want more knowledge about your California BBS exams, please take a visit to bencaldwelllabs.com to see our exam prep programs and resources. We'll see you next time.